Our God, we long to be um, at that day when we are freed from sinning, when our hearts are perfected. And God, as we continue towards that day, um, we long for you to do that work in us. We long for you to work from within, transforming us, putting sin to death, in our lives and making us more like the Lord Jesus. And so as we come to your word again, your word that is Christ, we pray that we will see Christ in all his greatness and perfection and sinlessness. We pray, God, that you will work deep within our hearts. Show us our sin. Show us where we need to change. And do that change among us that Christ may be glorified. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue with our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we are reading in verses 21 through to 26 of Matthew 5 thinking about the subject of anger, which is probably um, titled in your Bibles. So let's read together Matthew 5, and verses 21 through to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And everyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. I wonder what makes you angry. What gets on your nerves? What gets on your wick? What gets your goat? What just does your head in? I don't know if you've ever listened to the Connor Phillips show on Radio Walster about 10.30 in the mornings. I hear it sometimes if I'm in the car. I probably need to listen to something different, but regardless. Um, But he does this thing called Does My Head In? And he'll sing this silly little song, does, does, does my head in. And people will call in, and they will say what does their head in. 
and have an opportunity to have a good vent about it. So people will call in about all sorts of everyday things that do their head in. And I love listening to this because you can identify with it so easily. So for example, there'll be all sorts of things. Here's a few examples. Someone rings in and says, it does my head in when I send a really long text to someone and they reply with a one-word answer. Or does my head in when I'm at a checkout and the person serving me is speaking to their colleague rather than focusing on me. Or it does my head and when I hold the door open for someone and they don't say thank you. Or noisy eaters do my head in. People bragging on social media do my head in. And then you'll, you'll hear all sorts of things related to the road. People will say, does my head in when people park outside my house, when people tailgate me, when I let someone out and they don't acknowledge it, and so on and so forth. I'll tell you what does my own head in on the road. Here's my worst. When I'm at a traffic light and it's red, and the split second, I'm at the front of the queue, the split second the light changes, the person behind me beeps the horn because I haven't moved instantly. That's what does my head in. Well, we can identify with these, can't we? Things annoy us, we get angry. We get angry about all sorts of things. And I wonder, does the phraseology allow us to actually play down our anger and even deceive ourselves that we are actually angry? You know, we'll say, I'm not angry, but that just really annoyed me. I'm not angry, but oh, that just really gets in my nerves. Now, last week, we thought about this righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. This righteousness, we saw, that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees is a work of God from the inside out. We saw, too, that Jesus did not come to abolish the law of God, but rather to give it full meaning and true interpretation. And he gives examples to help us see that full meaning, to help us see that true interpretation of the law. And we see that that is very different from how the scribes and Pharisees interpret the law. And the first example is murder, which we have read. Look at verse 21 again. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now it's fair to say, I think, that most people agree that murder is wrong. And most of us can breathe a sigh of relief, perhaps give ourselves a bit of a pat on the back because we haven't murdered. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, he says, to define the sixth commandment as you shall not murder is to define the law in a way which enables us to imagine that we escape it. And that's exactly what these scribes and Pharisees have been doing. They took the sixth commandment, defined it as merely you shall not commit murder, 
And so they were restricting the law of God to make it manageable for themselves to keep. Look at what Jesus says in in verse 22. He says, But I say to you, Okay, so the scribes and Pharisees interpreted the law this way, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, has broken the law. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus brings full meaning to this law to include angry intentions, desires, words, and deeds. And Jesus draws them from merely human judgment to God's judgment. See, if anyone has ever committed murder, or sorry, if anyone has never committed murder, they're not going to be dragged into court and tried for angry intentions. But of course what is important is not man's judgment, no matter how much authority he may have, but God's judgment. So I want to think this morning about what this this unrighteous anger is, and how we go about curing this heart problem. So what is this anger that the Lord condemns? What is this unrighteous anger that Jesus captures within the sixth commandment? Well, to help us see the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, I want to look at a few examples from the life of Jesus. So Jesus in Mark 3, Jesus there, he was in the synagogue And he came to a man with a withered hand. And the religious leaders, they were watching on to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him if he did. And so Jesus knew what these people were thinking and he asked the religious leaders, is it right to do good or evil? To save life? Or kill it. Well, the religious leaders remained silent. We're told that Jesus looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Now, why was Jesus angry? Jesus was angry because they wanted to prevent a hurting man being healed but he was also grieved because of their hardness of heart. Another example, Mark 10. Here people were bringing children to Jesus that he might bless them, but his disciples began to rebuke those bringing the children. And we're told again that when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, that is, he was angry. Here we see Jesus was angry because these little ones were being treated as second-class citizens. The disciples were preventing the vulnerable from coming to Jesus. 
And we think of the well-known scene that all three Gospels, um, uh, three Gospels record of Jesus clearing the temple. And there he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And here we see a clear display of righteous anger. Now, what was it about this that caused Jesus to be angry? Well, the tables, they were set up in the court of the Gentiles, and the buying and selling was preventing Gentiles from worshipping God and being among the people of God. Now, what we see is that the thing that each of these incidents have in common is that Jesus' righteous anger came to the fore when someone else was hurting, when someone else was being mistreated. Now, allow me to give two other examples. This example is from Mark 1. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, he said to Jesus, If you will, can you make me clean? Now, we're told that Jesus moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him and healed him. Now, that phrase, moved with pity, can also be translated filled with anger. And it is likely we are to get both meanings from this. That in this, in this incident, Jesus was filled with anger and moved with pity. He was filled with anger at sin and its consequences in this world and in the people of this world, but he was moved with pity for the person experiencing sin's consequences. Another example that makes the same point is the raising of Lazarus in John 11. Now, Lazarus was ill. His sisters call for Jesus. But before Jesus gets there, Lazarus dies. And when the sisters meet Jesus, they were, they were inconsolable. They were crying. They are saying, Jesus, if, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw Mary weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Again, that's, this phrase, deeply moved, it, it conveys the meaning of anger, of outrage, of indignation. Now again, we've got to ask, what was it that Jesus felt angry towards? Was he angry at the grief of these women? Was he angry that they didn't have faith to believe that Jesus could raise Lazarus again? I don't believe so. I believe again that we see Jesus moved. We see him disturbed from within, outraged at the horrible consequences of sin on this world. 
And as we read on, we're told that Jesus was moved again. He went to the tomb. He raised Lazarus. And of course, the sisters rejoiced at this. And again, we see that Jesus was angry at sin, but moved with compassion for the brokenhearted. So hopefully this all helps to build up for us what righteous anger looks like. Righteous anger displays anger at sin and compassion for the person. Righteous anger moves us to act for the sake of another. So we've seen Jesus moved by anger for the sake of another. Let's now think how how Jesus responds when he was personally attacked himself. Well, when Jesus was personally attacked, when he received hate speech, physical abuse, when he was tried in the courts for absolutely no reason, he remained silent. In fact, when Jesus was crucified, he did not respond in anger, but his compassion was so great for those who put him on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 1 Peter 2, he, Christ, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him, God, his Father, who judges justly. In fact, Christ, he himself, bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus was so moved by compassion for his people, that he stood in our place, taking God's wrath and anger at our sin. And by Christ's death, God has forgiven us all our sins. He has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. Christ's death has brought us into the presence of God. We have been freed from the control of sin and enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in true righteousness. You see, the life of Jesus shows us that life in the kingdom of God is very different to this world. Anger in the kingdom of God is very different this world. I wonder what anger you feel more. Righteous anger or unrighteous anger? You see, actually, I don't think we need to be too concerned about this righteous anger. Because if you're anything like me, the anger you experience most often is unrighteous anger. Anger that is selfish. That, that, that's a response to personal hurt. 
Anger, that, that's a response to not having control, to not getting things our way, to others not serving us in just the way we want them to. Anger that comes from pride. Anger that produces bitterness and rudeness and resentment and slander and irritability and frustration. Anger that's about making judgments. See how Jesus in verse 22 refers to insults and, and calling a brother a fool. And the two phrases he uses here, it refers to both the intellect and the character. You see? In anger, we declare others an idiot. We, we attack their intellect. We'll say, you know nothing. You're stupid. How could you do such a thing? Or, or in anger, we, we attack character. We say, well, if, if you were worth anything, you wouldn't have done that. If you had anything in you, you wouldn't have done that. You know, you get a parking ticket, you call the traffic warden a scum or whatever else. You see, we, we declare ourselves right and others wrong. We make ourselves the judge, delivering the verdict that someone is no good and worthless and deserves to be punished. Anger that murders, destroys, tears down, rips apart the mind, the character and the soul. Unrighteous anger is anger at the person. We all know what this anger is. We all know what it feels like inside. So what's the cure? Well, the first step is to admit that we have anger in our hearts. Isn't that what Jesus is trying to get us to see here? You see, the, the righteous Pharisee, he, he would clear himself of this because, well, he hasn't committed murder. But no, those in the kingdom of God, that they have a righteousness that exceeds that. They know their hearts before God. And so we call unrighteous anger what it is, and we make no justification. I don't know if you've watched any of the series Jailed that Stephen Nolan did. Stephen Nolan was given access to McGabry Prison, an opportunity to interview um, prisoners in their cells. It's very insightful to watch, actually. Um, you'll get a, a really good insight into the effects of, of upbringing and drug use on the individual and society. But during this series, Nolan interviews several people who are in prison because they have committed murder. And the striking thing is that they try to justify their actions. The very best they can. I was provoked. I didn't realize I was doing whatever. And actually, even the ones who, who did show more remorse, they still struggled to say exactly what they did. And you know what? I think we can identify and empathize with these men very well. 
Because very often we try to justify our anger, don't we? I just I didn't mean to get angry. I wouldn't have got so angry if he hadn't have X, Y, and Z. I'm just so tired. There's just so much pressure on me at the minute. I, do you know, I actually just don't feel that well. We justify our anger and we butter it up. Let's not make Pharisees of ourselves. Let's call it exactly what it is. See, when we get angry, it's because we have angry hearts. Anger is coming out from within and we need a continual work of God from within to change our angry hearts. So we admit we are angry, we turn to God, we ask his forgiveness and we thank him for the gospel again and remind ourselves of its truth. That Jesus took God's anger that should have been directed towards us. Who are we? Who are we to be angry at anyone else? Jesus freed us from the debt of our sin. Who are we to force anyone to make it up to us when they sin against us? Jesus has reconciled us. He has brought us near to God by his blood. Who are we to try and keep anyone at a distance who may sin against us? You see, and we cannot say, oh, anger just got the better of me because Christ has freed us from the power and control of sin and that includes anger. We cannot say, oh, I just don't have the strength to overcome anger because Christ has given us the very Holy Spirit of God to enable us to walk in true righteousness. Now, let's think about this a little further. Let's bring it into the home. Your spouse sins against you in some way. Perhaps your children are are misbehaving. You're not able to control them in just the way you want to. And you begin to feel angry inside. What are you angry at? Is it sin? Or is it your lovely wife and your lovely children? See, if you're angry at the person, you'll attack. The bitterness, the rudeness and so forth will come out. But if you're angry at sin and it's outworking in the lives of those you love, well, your heart will break, won't it? And you'll be moved to respond with compassion for them. And if you know that you're, you're really struggling to fight unrighteous anger in a given situation, the advice I offer is from Psalm 4 and verse 4. It's worth looking this up when you go home and taking some time to think about this and how it applies to your life. Psalm 4 verse 4 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. To, present, to prevent yourself from sinning, you've got to admit unrighteous anger 
We've got to be on the ball to do this in a situation, don't we? We've got to admit there's unrighteous anger in here, prowling around, and we've got to get away. Go off on your own and ponder. Ponder your own heart. Ponder the gospel. You see, often in the moment we feel the attack is so justified. We feel we're so in the right. We feel the person so deserves the anger we're unleashing and the punishment we're going to bring. But very quickly we realize we're murdering the ones we love. Just get away. Take time out. Ponder. Perhaps you've been damaged by anger towards you. Perhaps an angry parent, an angry spouse, or perhaps someone else, and you've been left feeling worthless and no good. May you too take time to ponder the gospel. That God thought you worth so much that he sent his eternal son to die for you, to bring you into his eternal embrace. We've got to admit we have unrighteous anger in our hearts. And then we've got to take urgent action. Look at the two examples Jesus gives us in verses 23 to 26. Firstly, verse 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, the point here is very simple. If you know of anyone who may have a grievance with you, you go to them, you say you're sorry, whether you have intentionally hurt them or not, and you do all within your power to put things right. It's interesting, the Jews were very clear here, so we're looking at the worship context. And the Jews were very clear that as they brought sacrifices, for a sacrifice to be effective, the sacrifice had to include confession of sin and true penitence, which would involve attempting to rectify any consequence that your sin may have had. You know, as we come to worship here, and perhaps we think there's nothing more important than being together for worship. But if you are here and you know there are brothers, sisters, family, friends out there and things are not right with them, you know deep down they're not right, look what Jesus says. Get up, leave and go sort it out. Don't think you can come in here, say the right things, do the right things and it will somehow cover up what's going on out there. No, if you want to come here and worship God sincerely, then make things right out there. Second example, verse 25. Jesus says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, this seems a little unusual to us because if we were going to appear in court to settle some sort of dispute, 
Um, it's very unlikely that we would be traveling with the person who was accusing us or the person we were accusing. But it was common if there was a theft, as an example, and the thief was caught in the act. The victim could drag them off there and then to court, and so they would actually be traveling to court together. And Jesus says, sort it out before you go to the court. Because if you get to court, it's going to get worse, and it will just spiral. And you see, the point again is simple. If you have grievance with anyone, sort it out as quick as you can. Because the longer you leave it, the worse it becomes. The more people are affected, the longer it goes on, and so on. If unrighteous anger has caused a grievance, we take urgent action to put it right now. We let go of our rights. We take ourselves off the judgment seat. We make decisions now in light of the fact that we ourselves will stand before the judge of all the earth. So who does your head in? You come back, who does your head in? Do you know, I think those people are a huge, huge blessing in disguise. Because those people present us with huge potential for spiritual growth. They are God's means of showing you your own unrighteous heart, of pushing you again to him, and in turn transforming you into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our God, we are so thankful again for the words of the Lord Jesus. We are thankful that your work in our lives, as we sang earlier, is to bring us to that place where we will be free from sinning, where our hearts will be perfected. God, as we think about the subject of anger, we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. We pray, God, that you would expose anger in our hearts where it is there. We pray, Lord, as that anger comes to the fore, that we would not be quick to blame others or justify our anger on any circumstance, but that we would call it for what it is, that we will bring it to you to know your forgiveness again and that we would strive to be changed with the help of your Spirit. We thank you that Christ has freed us from the control of sin, including anger. We thank you that he has given us the Holy Spirit enabling us to put anger to death in our hearts and lives. Father, for those who have felt damaged 
by anger directed towards them. We pray that they would ponder again your gospel and know the greatness of your love, the extravagance of your kindness, and just the worth that there is in Christ. So, Father, help us take these principles today. Help us to apply them to our lives. Help us to live out Psalm 4 when we need to. Those times we simply need to step away, to ponder, to ponder our own hearts, to ponder your gospel, to let go of our rights, to take ourselves off the judgment seat. God, continue your great work in our hearts, we pray, for Christ's sake and glory. Amen.